Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Hi there everyone, it's Ben Mitchell and Laura Beth Cowley here, back with another episode of Intimate Animation which I guess is a kind of intimate animation summer special slash I was prepping for season three and realized we never actually finished season two. So we have uh, an episode owed before we uh, crack on with the new uh, batch of episodes later on. First of all, how are you, Laura? I'm very well, thank you. How's married life treating you? All right. It's almost a year. Don't hate you yet. So that's good. Result. I mean, that sort of shows it because the last episode of this we did, we had just come back from our honeymoon. Oh, God. And, uh, yeah, it's our anniversary in less than a month. Sorry. (laughs) Well, actually, the uh, the animation world should be apologizing to us because it's been a bit of a dry spell when it comes to, you know, new sex films. Yeah, that's the main reason. Or relationship films. Well, there's been plenty of stuff, I suppose, but to get a good sort of clump together. It's um, normally in the summer, though, isn't it? Because you have, like... For us, we always have encounters in September, which we would have just gone to just before, just after the wedding. Mm-hmm. And then there's Annecy, like a couple of months ago. And the bit, middle bit for us in the sector between that, if there isn't loads of encounters. Yeah, I think like with the last episode, we'd sort of exhausted that festival season's high hitters when it comes to this sort of subject matter. And a lot of the back catalogue as well, that we had stored up, we sort of had got rid of in the first series. We got greedy. Yeah, and we were just waiting for things. Because the other thing is, like, with the summer, you're waiting for the student work to come out, like RCA and NFTS, and if there's going to be anything in that, and the NFB as well tend to throw out a lot ready for Annecy. Mm. So summer's normally better, because if there's going to be one, a new one at that point, it's normally then. Absolutely. That's my reasoning. And I remember also... I'm pretty sure it was in the last episode. I remember kind of making a a comment that may have seemed a bit glib in hindsight about how the sort of social media landscape was kind of shifting in a way that was addressing some of the foibles, I suppose, of men and their advances. You know, the way men are kind of conditioned to or taught to behave to be successful with women is actually kind of shitty and uncomfortable for the women and i think about a week after that episode went up me too happened oh and it was a i mean it, it definitely expanded on that concept and certainly you know we've talked in the uh, in the other podcast the regular podcast about some of the ways that is encroached on the old animation industry mm. yeah it's been a very odd so we've not discussed any of that well, no, not on this one, because... Did Lasseter leave during... Yeah, Lasseter left sort of earlier in this year. The John Kay stuff happened in the spring. Oh, yeah. um, the general Harvey Weinstein stuff didn't happen until, I think, after the last one of these we did. Like, it, it all kind of came out, I think, sort of late, late October, November. So certainly I think that there's something that will probably be part of the animation conversation in this next sort of wave of films that comes through. Generally speaking, I think the kind of areas that we're sort of going to be talking about in terms of the films that we kind of have in mind, as with the previous episodes, not necessarily animation that's about sex and sexuality, but about 
the concept of relationships and love and how that can be dealt with in a kind of, you know, more abstract or comedically mundane way. I think to th- this one today is, a, well, it's, thematically it's about sex education and body positive. But it's kind of more through that, it's about what the differences between men and women are. Mm-hmm. And our opinions on ourselves. I remember actually also... The- the last episode we had just started watching Big Mouth or we had just gone through it. And that was a show that for its own idiosyncrasies or whatever, that had a very strong vibe of body and sex positivity. Like I think that it was coming from a pretty sincere place as far as, you know, talking about those early years of uh, psychosexual development. But definitely through the lens of someone much older. No, through people who have been through yeah, it. Like, yeah, <laughs> the vocabulary is very, like... You kind of feel like I they were talking to themselves, yeah. <laughs> but uh, really, what you felt at five was like, boobs. <laughs> boobs. Although the kids in the show are more like 12, 13. That's it's hard to tell. Their design is very childlike. But they're meant to be going through puberty, is yeah, the point. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, in the sort of recent months, we've been globetrotting a bit. Uh, you were at the Concordia Society for Animation Studies conference in the summer, which was nice because uh, Concordia's in Montreal. We have family there, and uh, it was a nice little excuse for a kind of academically justified holiday. <laughs> and that's why I applied. How did you find the conference? It was good. I'd never been to a conference before. Didn't really know what to expect. Lots of talking. Lots of sandwiches, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was interesting to see other people's research topic, having just started a PhD, probably around about the time we did this well, episode. Was, yeah. uh, I was like, I'm going to do a PhD. I don't know what wonders there is going to be on that side. And now I'm on the other side. And I'm like, there are no wonders. Um, <laughs> just a lot of reading and tired. I didn't realise when I went that I could actually just go to the talks. Uh, no, until the the first day, so I was able to see yours. Mm-hmm. It was, I think, I can say, uh, without any uh, bias, one of the more interesting ones. I mean, the important thing is yours had the best gifts in the Mine had all the gifts. Yeah, mine was the only one with gifts. It was a it was a damn fine display of gifts and bums. Yes, animated uh, bottom replacements. Yeah, <laughs> like, what was that for? The butt animation. It's. Animates Hey Presto that they did with DBLG, right? Which right. is an agency in London. I'm gonna say I'm probably wrong. Um, and yeah, it was just a like a experimental animation just to see if it's possible where they 3D printed like plastic stamps like in relief mm-hmm. that they then pressed onto skin and they did it on like nipples and bums and stomachs and stuff. And so it's like little loops that then they photograph one by one, but with different people and then like you know match them up mm. so it's like lots of different skin types with like freckles and stuff and they're like playing tennis with a nipple did i ever show you a film called the life-size zoetrope mm, no this was a oh fi- the one you were in yeah yes that was a film that kind of did it had elements of that like it was a fairground ride one of those um tumbler ones i forget what yeah. the term is but where you're all in what is essentially a zoetrope shaped construct and we would have these flip books and we would flip on cue when a klaxon would sound and the director was a guy who at the time was i think a visiting lecturer or a part-time lecturer at ue so that's how 
we knew him. There were quite a few UE students. Oh, was that you? I thought it was at Southampton. No, it was shot during my MA year. And um, Joanna's in it, my friend Joanna, it was before we met. So it's funny, if you freeze frame it at certain points, you can see me. And then it's another point, like, you see her. <laughs> uh, because there's a bit where it kind of, like, pans up to, like, our faces. And we're kind of doing this lip sync thing that doesn't, I think, really work. And it was made more interesting by this device. He had gotten a bunch of kids, not kids, but, like, students, <laughs> to get naked and do a kind of naked Maybridge-esque walk cycle in, like, his front room or something. Like, I remember those... would be able to do that now. But they were just, like, sort of printed out and cut out and, like, sellotaped to our bellies. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that sort of a kind of replacement-y, rotoscopy, replacement-y, pixelation-y stuff going on. That was an an odd but interesting project, you know. Mm. Uh, It was fun because we got to spend the whole day riding this ride. Mm -hmm. And that was, as a kid, it was one of my favourite rides. But, anyway... Going back to the conference, the reason why we were bringing it up on this podcast is because one of the panels we went to was about, it was called, I remember this because I remember being annoyed about this, <laughs> is that it was called like practical animation or worthwhile animation or like... Useful animation? That was it. It was called yeah. useful animation and it was about like medical animation and animations that are being used for, I think one was for maths, one was for medicine and one was for sex education. Okay. I thought, wasn't one of them about Woody Woodpecker? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like was, there was something... Oh, no, it was a study. Uh, it was about research. That was, it was about psychology. And how this research was, thing was, had been misrepresented. It was one of those really early studies about, on yeah. violence and cartoons and how it affects children. And he was sort of talking about how they used this example of Woody Woodpecker and some other really crappy-looking child's Some animals, docile, less frantic, like little violent chickens cartoon. Or something like that. And saying how they completely misrepresented read the data yeah and then when they actually sort of went through the original data a lot of stuff was kind of misattributed and, mm. and the I, guy's main issue was i was like this isn't even a violent episode yeah like there's so much worse episodes of woody woodpecker like much more aggressive yeah this was called film mediated fantasy aggression the legacy of alberta siegel and cartoon violent studies and the guy who uh, put this presentation together was called tom klein and another talk in this useful animation presentation was pretty interesting. It was apropos as far as the kind of stuff that uh, we tend to talk about on this. It was kind of about the role animation has in informational videos, specifically health and sex education videos. And um, it has a pretty interesting history. Mm. It's certainly something that's still... Uh, and it's a lot earlier than you would expect yeah. as well. Like you kind of assume that everything before the 60s was really prudish. Yeah, but really they were, they were very slow. That's the only thing I have noticed is like, and you may have feelings, <laughs> and it's like, why are you talking as if this is a horror story? <laughs> like, just, yeah. just say periods. It's fine. Move on. Yeah, we could uh, punch up that uh, one of the videos that they were talking about. This um, I'm sure people which somebody, one the Disney one? Yeah, so this was Disney's contribution to the uh, health education film Uvra. Why is it wearing lipstick? That's a bit, yeah. There's this baby yawning with bright red lipstick. An lips. eyeliner. An eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> Even our babies. Uh, it just turned into a real doll. <laughs> Even our babies are gorgeous. Oh no, it's just a painting. Here at the base of the brain, and it's called a pituitary so gland. babies. In our childhood years, this pituitary gland concentrates on producing growth hormones. 
busy little messengers would so, it's a pretty innocent I suppose they order the various educational film about menses beginning with a pituitary gland shooting lasers inside this baby's skull this baby blissfully unaware of the hell that is going to ravage her uterine lining but there comes a time somewhere between the ages of 11 and 17 though about 13 is average when the pituitary must turn part of its attention to maturing the body do, do any girls these days is it does it ever happen that periods don't start before 17? Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. proper carry? Like, what's yeah. going on? Yeah, pretty much everyone I knew growing up, they were it's, all... Uh, it's not super common. Right. But this is the kind of mark of old sexual education or menstruation or anything videos, is that they're just very scientific and clinical. Yeah. Like, this is exactly what's happening. They always, like, skim over the more emotional side of things, or, like, the cultural side of things, I guess. Like, you might feel pain, or you might be slightly sad. Yeah. But, you know, the, the advice is still good. Like, it's, like, don't mope go on a bike. Like, go and have some exercise. Don't let it, like, don't yeah. fester. And it's a bit more evolved than some of the really sort of scare tactic-y PSAs of the... Before, I guess, this is 1940. I think we just and... joke about it because we think we joke about like because we think back then they were a lot more like closed off to all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, and it, it was just everything in the 60s and stuff had a time and a place. Yeah, and the time and the place was in that one day in school, and f- if you missed it, yeah, because then you wouldn't know what a period was. Yeah, which is probably what happened to Carrie. Yeah, she just missed the one day they showed this video in class. I remember the one day, in, like the one sex ed lesson I missed was how to put a condom on a banana, oh, yeah. which was the day I was looking for most because my I had a, my science teacher collected novelty condoms from around the world, and she okay. used to bring them in and show you them all. That's um. She had a mac condom from Scotland, and it was Scotch flavored. As in whiskey. Yeah. Wow, that's a motivator. Against bathing during your period. Not only can you bathe, you should bathe. <laughs> Did you know you can bathe? No sh- <laughs> This is a bit weird. This, this, this character is designed completely different from the other characters. She's showering in ice. She's like Betty Boot, but without hair. So don't have too cold a shower. She's got this giant head compared to the rest of her body. Like, it's a completely no different nipples. design style. No nipples. Oh, <laughs> she Look at her head. It's <laughs> the funny. riding on the horse, like, really violently. <laughs> it's weird how they didn't have, like... Oh, look, here we Feeling go. Feeling of pressure in the lower part of the body. Perhaps an occasional twinge or a touch of nerves. Don't dramatize don't yourself, Captain you says. After all, no matter how you feel, you have to live with people. Exactly. You have to live with yourself, too. We don't want to make your husband and mad. don't you stop feeling sorry for yourself and take those days in your stride you'll find it's easier to keep smiling and even-tempered. Some days you'll feel sad. Suck it up, bitch! <laughs> There's men out there that need feeding! Tears are a turn-off, you know. Why not chase the blues away with some Lucky Strike cigarettes? <laughs> and do something about that slouch. <laughs> now they're saying stand up straight. Stand up she can't catch a break. Let her relax. Look how ugly you are when you're so bent over slightly. <laughs> This, ugly, this shifted ugly. quite dramatically from a, a innocuous educational video to a scolding of womankind. 
for you're not, not acting allowed to right. show weakness <laughs> on your period. If you're sad and crampy, go for a run. So they also kind of talked about like how we still have that animated educational videos that are playing a role. So they were talking about some like educational videos, animated videos and stuff on uh, amaze.org was the main website they talked about. Having had a little sort of scan through it, it's a pretty well-intentioned resource about various sexual topics and things like that. Interestingly, they have quite a lot of videos about gender as well, which is not something we've really ever discussed all that much. Yeah, it hasn't really come up that much. No. Uh, but it's obviously, I mean, it's become, you know, more and more of a discussion point. I think that the reason it doesn't come up that much is that for us and for most people we know, there isn't that much confusion about it or that much, like... Well, the, it's just within our own, like, circle of people. Well, I think for other people they don't necess- who don't necessarily know people who are gender non-conforming or whatever, but I think just sort of upbringing-wise and whatever, the idea of gender fluidity isn't this crazy concept. So this uh, website has... The, you know, the typical films about, like, different types of hygiene products for women and what puberty is for girls and what puberty is for boys, but then also things about uh, gender and sexual orientation and um, consent. Mm-hmm. That was the bigger hot topic when I was growing up, rather than, like, gender. Yeah. Something that this kind of brings to mind, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this, It's a video about, I guess, sort of being on your guard. It's a video, I guess, for young audiences. As uh, people, I'm sure, are are well aware, there's this Winnie the Pooh movie that's coming out this year. Christopher Robin. Yeah. Uh, A live-action Winnie the Pooh movie, no less. Because that's something we all needed. Well, as it turns out, there was actually a live-action Winnie the Pooh back in the 80s. During the 80s, they would have all sorts of specials and uh, informational educational videos yeah so stuff like the ninja turtles would be like hey cowabunga dudes don't do drugs mm-hmm. that kind of thing um uh, this one is called too smart for strangers with winnie the pooh it's live action guys in costumes sort of thing and puppets it's quite creepy every day might want to touch you and sometimes that's dangerous what do you mean pooh Basically, it's a film about not taking candy from strangers, right? The way he phrased it, I say, be too smart for strangers like me. Are you saying you're a stranger? Because if you saw this coming towards you, you'd uh, run. This is a bit of an eats, shoots and leaves situation. Or bathing you. Or the doctor has to touch them when he's examining you. That's okay touching. Oh, but is there touching that's not okay, Pooh? Oh, yes, Piglet. If someone gets too near... And now there's a musical number. Say, no, stop that. It's really not okay. No, don't do that. It's just a bit too lively, you know? And they're just skipping off into the distance. I mean, one hopes that this film did some good, I suppose. I did a uh, thing for Newsround once. It was one of the first things I animated on that was on TV. And that was sort of about... It was more about, like, online grooming and that kind of thing and the dangers of that. I remember that as well. And it was was pretty dreadfully conceived, but it did get nominated for a BAFTA. Because you're talking about issues, man. 
there was some nice animation. I didn't do much on it. I mainly just sort of worked on the pitch for it. But I do remember like finding some of the script for that a bit like ham-fisted. And I think when you have like really, really serious subject matter like that in that clip, putting it in the mouths of these Disney characters, it just feels extraordinarily unsettling. But, and I understand the idea, the logic of it, and it maybe sort of made sense like on paper in a sort of committee decision. But there's another one where it's Henry Winkler. It's a live action thing. It's Henry Winkler, oh, Henry al- Winkler. alternating between himself and himself in character as the Fonz. So he's wearing his cardigan, singing songs, helping children, you know, about, like, uh, understand the concept of consent and, you know, what's appropriate behavior and what's not. And then it was sort of, like, cut to, like, him dressed up as the Fonz. Hey, my friend Henry Winkler's going to sing you a song, so sit down and pay attention. And I swear to God, he goes, or I'll run over your knees with my bike. And then he kind of does this thing where he's like, "Ah, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> who wrote that <laughs> line in the kids' PSA? I'll run over your knees with my bike. How's that even possible? Like, lay down, I'm going to run over your knees. That's the kind of thing they should be terrified of, is guys just making <laughs> casual jokes like that. If this guy comes and talk, tells you he's going to run over your knees, run! <laughs> but and it, it's just this like, sort of like reaction after, like, I'm just kidding, like as though he just told a knock-knock joke. <laughs> As opposed to threaten to horribly, horrifically mm. assault <laughs> Another thing I worked on, it was a thing for Channel 4, and it was more about confidence than sex or consent issues. But they would take these, like... It was when I realized that people who have absolutely no business writing scripts for any kind of educational content quite often find themselves in the position where they're doing just that. And you get this incomprehensible shit to animate that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, and jo- the jokes, like trying to work out where the actual humor is mm. for like comedy vignettes. Which I think is probably why back in the 60s and stuff, when they did these kind of like films about like issues or periods or whatever, they were just very straight talking like, here are the facts. There was no entertainment value here. Yeah. It's kind of prettily animated, but that's where that's just to keep you engaged. Yeah. But really, if you're talking about something like that, that should be engaging enough. Like, I'm telling you this because you need to know. Yeah. Here are some nice visuals. Pretty much. Yeah. Pay attention. But that's probably why they got like Winnie the Pooh and stuff to do like a dancey routine and singing and dancing, even though as an adult it seems very like wrong. It's to mm. try and keep kids entertained enough because kids haven't, kids shouldn't hopefully have any concept of what any of that means, mm-hmm. and it should seem very abstract. Certainly, I think that Amaze.org website's a well-intentioned enough contemporary example of being a resource for people to educate themselves. I think also the the expectation, and this sort of ties in, I guess, with this episode's guest and some other stuff that we've encountered by previous guests of the podcast. A certain pressure to conform either through, you know, being sexually active or looking a certain way or having a certain um, thing to shoot for as far as your presentation of oneself, appearance, that sort of thing. Because that's so tied in with how we forge relationships 
and how we develop intimacy with people. And how we define ourselves. Yeah. I think it's a very difficult balance because we're somewhere now between dressing how everyone else dresses or dressing, like, scandalously. Yeah. And this kind of boundary between I should be able to dress however I want, but also I shouldn't have to fit in with everyone else. Also feeling like you have to wear makeup and you have to dress a certain way in order to just be perceived as normal or pretty yeah. or and the other um the video by Anna Ginsburg where the idea of beauty changes throughout history so really you just need to define what you think is beautiful and be true to it yeah because trying to fit in with what society or men or life or at that time thinks is beautiful is ridiculous. I mean, this was a great film, the Anna Ginsburg film, oh, like the What Is Beauty, and it's sort of... This was CNN, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was an interesting... Th- it went up a few months ago. Um, Anna Ginsburg was on the podcast uh, earlier on. Her film Private Parts was uh, doing the rounds at the time. This is a film... It's mainly dealing with the perception of the female form, how it's idealized and through art over the centuries and how that changes, you know, very significantly. And then how certain things recur and certain other elements sort of die off. But yeah, presentation, like body proportions, that kind of thing. It's all, you know, I mean, a lot of it's sort of dealt with in a kind of abstract way, but it's, it makes a pretty earnest point and it's done in a very nice way. But I do remember when it went online on the CNN Facebook page, you know, that concept that beauty is this shifting man-made construct went down not very well with some of the people on the Facebook page. Plenty of them kind of idiotic men. But you always get, whenever there's this sort of thing about, like, overweight was once beautiful, there's always going to be this, like, contingent of people who are just experts on medicine (laughs) about, like, how, you know, but actually, obesity is, you know, the biggest killer and blah, blah, blah. We, well, yeah. We're not saying obese. We're saying chubby. Yeah. We're saying exactly. some women, no matter how much weight they lose, are always going to look kind of hourglassy or pear-shaped. Yeah. Because it's just their hips are wider or their tits are bigger yeah. or they have a bigger butt. And yes, they could really malnourish themselves and become like a stick, but they'd still be hippie. Yeah. And they'd still probably have big chests and they'd just be deflated. Yeah. Or they have very broad shoulders. And some girls do look better slightly chubby because it softens all your edges. Yeah. And overall, I think that's a pretty good message. And I think that Anna did a very good job with that. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, It reminds me a little bit about how, I mean, one of the biggest sort of champions of, you know, body positivity, or certainly as far as like a component of her work, would be with Joanna Quinn and her character Beryl, of course. Mm, yeah. Just Joanna Quinn's kind of artistry and appreciation for anatomy, which I think is something that kind of separates a certain type of artist out. Like, there are people I find... It's, it's odd, but I do find that the people that I sort of consider peers find life drawing still, like, awkward. Which, really? Yeah. Well, there's one guy I know, he will do life drawing, but he can't draw penises or what? nipples. Why? No idea. How old um, is this person? My age, maybe a bit older. I think definitely just doing life drawing, even if you don't necessarily like it, because, I mean, I think that that is the big sort of disillusionment if you're going into it with this idea that it's going to be somehow titillating. It's not. 
it's going to be difficult if you're taking it seriously. It's, there's no mastery of life drawing that's possible, and anyone who tells you there is doesn't understand what the function of it is or what really art is. Obviously, Joanna Quinn is like very, very big on life drawing. It's a big it part of her work, her and work. she does life drawing classes. It's the only time I've ever felt really actually challenged was you know being instructed by Joanna because she's someone who you know she really kind of knows what life drawing is all about not being sort of formally trained in art outside of, I mean I've done you know an MA and a BA you know in stuff like motion graphics and animation and though I did art history at school so I didn't really do art as an A level there are areas of art that I kind of felt like I needed to catch up on so yeah I think being able to be at a Joanna Quinn life drawing session for example is quite refreshing because for me that's sort of unique a proper session by someone who knows really what they're talking about mm. not that the guys who organized you know the ones locally are, are oh, yeah, clueless but they don't but teach you life drawing do they they just no they just cut classes and that's they're there for like you know they're on hand but at the same time i wouldn't really have anything to ask them because i know that they're just still learning themselves yeah and... well there's a difference between going to a life drawing class where it's like a fiver yeah. and being taught formally life drawing i haven't been taught formally life drawing for a very long time so it's not just sort of the anatomy side of things but also just the cultural side of things that i think were sort of beautifully embodied by the beryl films and um, i don't think it's a secret at this stage that there's another beryl film you know being very slowly pieced together but it will be sort of happening at some point soon but i remember like when we saw the joanna quinn talk at cardiff not the animation festival but the year before and it was part of the Independent Film Festival. And that was a wonderful talk. Me and Steve have, I think, mentioned it on the other podcast. And what was great about that, I mean, it wasn't great that we had to leave five minutes early, but what was kind of amazing was that when you and me were getting the train back from Cardiff Central, there was this group of just big Welsh women <laughs> who were exactly... It was girls' night out. Yeah. It was the exact slice of nightlife from a film that she had made you know 20 years ago yeah. and it was amazing how much that held up you know sort of seeing the real version of that having gone from the animated version this wonderful brassy camaraderie i think that kind of combination of artistic sensibility and cultural appreciation is something that's also very present in our guest film which is called cyclists and it's going to be playing at encounters next week his name is Veiko Popovic. The pronunciation of that is actually sort of uh, up in the air. He kind of uh, goes into his solutions for that at the beginning of the interview. So I'm going to take it easy on myself as far as getting that right. <laughs> He's done a few films. Uh, most recently, before this film, was a film called Planemo, which I'm sure people uh, would recognize if they looked it up. Uh, or they might just, you know, remember it from the name. That was a film that offered up a lot of... It was a more of a sort of CG-oriented, like it had uh, this beautiful use of sort of colour and the sort of polygonal mesh of the character designs and things like that. It was lovely stuff. It was made through his studio, Lemonade 3D, with Bonobo, who've done a bunch of other stuff, like Hedgehog's Home. We talked to uh, Ava Kianovic, who made that film, I think, last year. They do some really excellent work, and uh, it's been a great pairing, them and uh, Veiko. Cyclist is a film about cyclists, I guess. And lust. Lust very much being the sort of main motivator for these two guys, who I think consider themselves competing alpha males on the uh, cycle race circuit. 
and like male hierarchy. I'm trying to think of the right term. And yeah, like sort the of. Fact that they've all got the manhood out. Yeah, there's a sort of social hierarchical element of it. But only for men. Yeah. Like this idea that men have this kind of pecking order that means they get the girl. Or that they deserve the girl, or that the girl is sort of seen as a kind of attainable prize, and at the end of the day they're overseeing what actually makes them potentially sort of in the running. Mm. It's not a misogynistic film, it is more a joke on men. Yeah. You know? But one of the central characters in this film is a uh, unnamed woman who basically instigates this sort of dual obsession as the cyclists kind of begin a race and they have their own carrot and stick fantasies about what they're going to do with her when they win the race and thus win her favor. And all sort of done in a quite different art style than one would be used to looking at the director's other films. You mentioned it reminds you of an artist in particular. Well, it reminds me of Beryl Cook, actually, because of the fact that all the characters in it have a very similar body composition. Even the woman is kind of similar to the blokes. Like, they have these very tubular head-neck compositions. Other than the fact that she's wearing a skirt, has a vagina, and has a hat, you wouldn't know it was a girl. Very rounded. Yeah, and they all have this kind of head shape, this kind of broken pill-shaped head. But the kind of painting style and kind of thematics of it are a bit more like Fernando Botero. Um, I think there are quite a few, uh, this isn't in the interview, but me and him did sort of chat a little bit about like how there are quite a few artists in different countries where there are certain, where there are certain um, parallels. Mm. Uh, what's interesting is that this film is a direct nod to a particular artist in Croatia called Vasco Lipovac, which again, I, th- I think is the pronunciation. Uh, he's a guy who wasn't particularly sort of sexually themed in terms of his art until later on, I think, in his career, where things got very risque, and Veliko goes into that a little bit, about like how there was a bit of tug-of-war between him and um, the artist's estate as far as like how much of that element would be in this film. But if you look through the artist's sort of back catalogue, you can see lots of themes that are present in this film. It's not just a sort of adaptation of one artwork there are sort of elements of his sculpture like he has a very famous sculpture of like cyclists racing which is obviously now that i see it i recognize it yeah i recognize him a really nice film and i'm really glad that we have uh relico on the podcast he actually does a quite good job of introducing himself and his backstory so it might be uh worth just letting him take care of that side of things my name is velko popovic it's a pretty difficult name to pronounce for the English-speaking crowd, so I go by Dave as well. That's like universally <laughs> easily pronounced. Or Velcro. Yeah, that's that's also that's nice. I'm actually a painter by um, education. I graduated painting uh, at the Art Academy in Zagreb uh, in 2004. And uh, around that time, I also started... Um, uh, working as an assistant to the professor uh, Simon Bogoevich Narat, which is a really prominent uh, Croatian animator, and I kind of got into animation through working with him and uh, made my first short film in 2008 called She Who Measures. Uh, the film was made to quite a critical acclaim, uh, won a few awards, uh, went to a 
to a few festivals, uh, I think around 100 or something like this, including Clermont Ferrand, Annecy, and uh, you know, one of the one of those major ones, Anima Fest in Zagreb as well, and this kind of cracked open the door of of uh, you know uh, doing animation for a living actually for for me and for my friends. So we kind of formed a studio called Lemonade 3D, and we've been uh, doing animation ever since. It's actually been like a, our 10th year anniversary in 2018 at Anima Fest with our latest short film Cyclists. Uh, so yeah, it's been 10 years, uh, six films so far, uh, seven is in the making. So yeah, cracking on. Nice. Now, are the films the main sort of focus of the studio or do you take on other types of work as well? Yeah, we do a lot of commercial stuff, but we tend to find uh, commercial stuff which is uh, requires a unique visual approach or a creative approach to to creating content. Uh, so we kind of uh, try to find clients and people who are looking for something different and for something a bit more creative than the usual round of the mill. Uh, commercial stuff so in between films because uh, it takes us about a year and a half to uh, to jump from one film to another so we have that uh, uh, empty space which we fill out with commercial work and which uh, by doing just commissioned work uh, so it's a it's a mix of uh, commercial and uh, just you know short films artistic stuff yes. so do the films kind of um help sort of bolster the studio's uh, reputation like does it help you get the commercial work in yeah actually it's been really helpful because a lot of the commercial stuff is really bland and there's a cer certain level of creativity but it's kind of kind of stagnated in a sense so when people see our short films where we are able to be really creative and push the boundaries and try to create something which is really unique uh, they get a real insight in you know what's possible with animation and uh, how you can really approach uh, animation with different techniques and different uh, approaches so uh, definitely it's something which uh, actually it's the backbone of, uh, of the studio mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, when I saw you last, it was at the Zagreb Festival, and um, Planemo, I think, was still doing the rounds, or it was yeah. sort of coming to the end. And that's a film I'm sure quite a lot of our listenership will be familiar with because it's been a very sort of prominent film at festivals. Curious about the genesis of your new film, Cyclists. Did that idea kind of come like during making Planemo, or does it go back further? Well, for us, uh, there's two reasons for cyclists. And uh, if you, if somebody kind of happens to stumble upon my films, you'll see that I go from uh, doing a somber, serious film, which I really try to, you know, go into exploring the human nature and, and you know, the nature of this of, of human society as a whole. And then I try to pick a subject which is uh, kind of uh, completely different i try to do do a film which uh, is either a collaboration or is uh, uh with the matter that it's focused on is something different uh, so i can uh, kind of uh, keep my perspective fresh and uh, and and not get in, get into one thing all the time so after doing planimo which was really this kind of uh 
of uh, I would say a hard film to make and to to watch. Uh, we we in the studio really wanted to go into something that's gonna kind of cleanse our palate a bit, if if that makes sense. Mm. And we've been working with the family of uh, Vasco Lipovac, who is a, a really prominent uh, Croatian artist. He he died a few years back, and we did some uh, commissioned work for his uh, studio and his family. And they kind of approached us if we would be interested in doing a short film based on his work. And we just finished Plan Emo, so we were really up to trying to do something different. So, and I think cyclist is as different as you can do after mm-hmm. <laughs> after Plan Emo. So you know, mission succeeded yeah. in that sense. And uh, uh, I was really looking forward to to doing a 2D short animated film, which is a first for us um, that we produced. I, I directed a 2D animated film a while back called uh, My Way, but uh, the studio production, this is the first time we did 2D animation, so uh, we were really up for the challenge and trying something different. Uh, and, uh, you know, sank our teeth into the erotic uh, sports world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you... Um had you been a fan of Vasco's or um, had you been, had you known him before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right. Vasco Lipovac is, uh, is one of those artists that's really kind of uh, bridged that gap between fine art and, 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 and mass uh, uh, popular culture kind of thing. He created art, which was really, fine art but it was really accessible to the common people so it was really he's kind of a i would say like an uh, I, i'm not even gonna say underground uh split visual it's it's the main split mainstream split kind of artistic visual of the mediterranean small town and he's been really prominent in 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 daily lives and he he's done a bunch of sculptures which are in open spaces he uh and uh so i've been living with his work for you know ever since i was uh, i can remember you know ever since i've been living in split uh, so it was really, I was really interested in, in, in getting the access to his studio and, and, you know, going through the, through his sketches and his work, which haven't been publicized and, and, you know, really exploring the, 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 the world of Pascalipova. So that was super exciting for me. I was, it was crazy because I would be spending my days, you know, in his studio rummaging through things and finding these, these little gems so yeah, I was I was a long time fan and uh, really stoked to be working on the film. Excellent. The story of the film does that directly reference a specific artwork of his? Well, you know, Vasco Lipovac, he's uh, he's loved by the by all walks of life in in Split, and also by the conservatively, and you know. The I would say I don't know how to say it in English, kind of a church-going folks, you know, God-fearing folks. Uh, but he also had this series of works that he did late in his life, uh, a few years before he died, which was like this erotic, uh, really bizarre drawings. It was uh, there was a lot of kinky stuff there, a lot of you know, uh, sexual, really hardcore stuff. He was I, I mean by at the end of his life, he was 
kind of just you know messing about with it and just uh, said you know to hell with it uh, and i think he kind of wanted to go through these with these images back to to his you know teenage years mm. so i was really interested in in in, in exploring this uh, world of Ascolipoats and trying to create a film which will marry two teams one is his cyclists which is super popular uh, a, a series of works and sculptures and this erotic themes which is like uh, really unknown uh, kind of side of Vascalipovac so that's kind of that was my starting point in trying to create a narrative structure which will marry these two series of works uh, the erotic works and the um, cyclists mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of how it all started excellent the um as well as it being sort of visually quite different from the previous uh films of yours none of those films or the ones i've seen i've, I've seen three or four of your other films take on this sort of subject matter or this sort of comedic tone i mean there's sort of dry comedic elements um yeah but this one is sort of more sort of, I suppose, light. Was that something that was kind of important to do something sort of different in that way? Yeah, well, I I, I think uh, the most the, the the most difficult film to make is a is a humorous, funny film. Mm. At least for me, I mean, to get the audience to laugh is super hard. I think it's much harder than to get an audience to cry. Mm. Uh, so uh, and. Uh, I was, uh, like I said, I, I, I really was interested in doing something different and experimenting uh, both uh, in the narrative structure and in the visual approach and trying to create something different. So, yeah, we were, I was scared, you know, trying to create a funny film. If you try to create a humorous film and, and the jokes fall flat, it's kind of dead in its tracks, I think. So, uh, in a sense, it was a bit of an experiment and, uh, uh, you know, leap of faith uh, uh, on our side. But I was confident in the material. I was confident in the, you know, uh, satirical and comedic aspects of uh, Vasco's work that we could really pull it off and, and create a film which uh, can amuse uh, and, and that has this uh, satirical and humorous side to it. So, yeah, I was uh, I, I wanted to to jump on the opportunity and try to create one one funny film. I think it's gonna be the first and probably the last. <laughs> <laughs> I found it it really succeeded in in capturing something. I guess that's kind of fundamental about being a guy, or not necessarily just a guy, but the the pursuit element, I suppose, that what pretty much entirely motivates these two cycling competitors is, you know, the hope of some kind of sexual conquest at the end of it. And that struck yeah. me as quite allegorical for a, a big chunk of my youth and occasional yeah. little slices of my adulthood. Yeah. I think that that sort of helps with, that helps the comedy sort of succeed is that it is, I think, quite relatable for a lot of people. Well, it's uh, uh, the Mediterranean culture is really uh, filled with this um, this image uh, of these, you know, uh, half naked men, uh, you know, with 
trying to impress the females and trying to kind of impress the girls and and, and it's it's a it's a, it's a sort of a competition that's that's uh, rooted traditionally here in the Mediterranean countries so uh, for me it was really funny because usually these kind of uh, images uh, the men are you know athletically built and they're they're like this you know superheroes but here Vasco kind of gives these attributes to everyday people who are you know chubby and uh, you know who are out of touch and uh, I thought the irony of it was really really interesting and in the end they're they're the two biggest losers although you know one of them actually won the Grand Prix uh, so it had it had this kind of a bittersweet element to it which I really enjoy um, and which I think really uh, makes the characters three-dimensional you know yeah what I particularly enjoyed actually was the not surreal, but the, the slightly bizarre turn toward the end when we introduced the, uh, mayor and the captain, um, yeah. who for whatever reason decide not to wear any trousers. Um, <laughs> and I was curious as to whether that was a sort of symbolic thing or if that was just sort of absurdism. Well, you know, the mayor and the captain they're like the big cats you know they're mm-hmm. they're they're the top alpha dogs and they're presenting their masculinity for everyone to see and they kind of differentiate themselves in this way so so for me it's a it's a visual display of how sometimes someone is you know carrying the attitude is such that it, he kind of uh, presents himself as a, this very important man, and on the other side, it's uh, uh, it, it kind of uh, makes it into a joke. Mm. So again, you know, there uh, for me, it, it has this kind of um, I would say even slightly political uh, connotation. Uh, I mean, if you if you if you just take a look at the state of affairs today, and if you take a look at at the United States and Donald Trump, he I think would be super happy to to go around pantless, you know. <laughs> Just <laughs> so in this sense, it, it kind of. I thought it was funny. I actually saw the image Vasco did the this image, one of his paintings, where this really kind of spiffed up older gentleman mm. uh, was wearing no trousers, and I thought it was really like it had this Monty Python esque kind of quality to it and and I thought it had this humor that Monty Python also has where where they they create something which is completely absurd and funny but also is a is a really perfect metaphor or a commentary uh, to current states uh, uh, in the world you know current affairs so for me it's it's uh, it's distinct hmm. so uh, how involved since they originally brought it up how involved was um Vasco's estate or family with the film? Well, they, uh, they were really involved, I have to say. Uh, we, we, had a, we had a Mario Lipovac, one of his sons. He was, the, he was kind of uh, the consultant uh, on the film, and uh, they were really interesting and really hands-on, uh, both in the, uh, when we were creating the script and uh, creating the narrative structure, and then later on, especially when we were uh, creating the visuals, 
Because I think on uh, one hand, they were really protective of the legacy of Ascolipods. And on the other hand, they were really curious as what will happen when the characters actually come to life uh, uh, so yeah there were there were and I had I have to say there were a few bumps on the road and uh, I think they were skeptical uh, with the film and uh, I was really happy that in the end they were like super excited and happy with it and really happy how the both locally and uh, internationally how the film has been received so that was a kind of load of my shoulders so in the end i think it turned out fantastic yeah yeah what sort of things were they resistant to in the film well i i think they were really not too happy with the, uh, with the idea that i chose this erotic uh, uh series of works and uh, one scene in particular and that's the scene when the two cyclists uh, enter the tunnel and the tunnel transforms uh, into the female legs, which kind of spread apart, and they kind of drive into it. Uh, it was pretty explicit scene, and they were kind of, you know, fighting me on that. But I was, uh, uh, I was adamant to keep the scene in the film because I think it's one of the, for me at least, it's one uh, one of the scenes that makes makes the film really work. Uh, so I was uh, pushing back on on their kind of ideas to remove it or cut it or to change it or to make it more you know less sexual because i was saying i've seen some drawings of vascos and you know it's like orgies dude on dude women on women you know it's like crazy stuff so you know i said i think he would not mind (laughs) (laughs) no um, it's uh, it's a good sequence it's it's so I'm glad it stayed in. I also quite liked the way the design, not the design, the kind of rendering style, I guess, changes a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, it's nice to kind of have that mixing up the visuals a bit. Uh, well, I was, because uh, I was looking at the drawings that Vasco did, and I really loved the drawings. And I was looking at the paintings, and I really loved the paintings. Mm. And then I said, you know, I have to kind of find a way to to try and and get the both styles and both approaches he had into the film so my original idea was to use the moment of the tunnel uh, to have this uh, 2d hand-drawn element introduced and then i i i I started working with uh, sander yoon the estonian animator who also uh, incidentally did a, a cyclist film uh, a few years back, I think 2000 and uh, maybe it was even 2000 and uh, maybe 16 or something like this. And I said, why don't we try and experiment in in uh, expanding this 2D style uh, outside the tunnel scene? And I got a bit of a pushback there as well, uh, but I really liked it. You know, it breaks up the tempo of the film and introduces a new style and so I, I kept it, yeah. Out of curiosity, is there anything you're working on at the moment you can talk about? Yeah, we're, we're just now, uh, we've, we've finished the pre-production and we're, we're uh, waiting for the funds to come in for our new film. It's going to be a VR, virtual reality short film. So something completely different mm-hmm. than cyclists. Uh, and we're really excited to dive into the uh, world of virtual 
uh, animation and and creating something which which for us is gonna be a new thing. Uh, it's super scary because in virtual reality there's no cuts and uh, editing. Hmm. So, so that's gonna be interesting. I, yeah. We we had a we had a, we had a really fantastic talk with uh, the National Film Board of Canada, who are interested in joining uh, the production team and and uh, jumping on board. And we are uh, now just waiting uh, for the results from the Creation Audiovisual Center, which are gonna be in the next few weeks. And if 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 it all goes well, we'll be doing the. Uh, so we are a uh, short animated film uh, in the upcoming uh, months and uh, I would say a year or something like this. Uh, it's going to be motion capture, so uh, it's going to be a welcomed break from the crazy animators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a really fantastic uh, friend here in Split. He's a dancer and a movement instructor at the Academy of uh, Acting Academy here uh, and we're gonna be, you know, suiting him up and doing some crazy stuff with motion capture and VR. So it's, I'm super excited about it. I'm, I'm anxious to see if we get get the funds or not because virtual reality is still kind of not recognized, especially here in Croatia. I, I'm hoping that uh, uh, committee will have a sights on the future and 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 welcome the idea of a first. VR short animated creation film. So thanks to Veliko Popovic, director of Cyclists, and the film will be playing at Encounters next week as part of the Late Lounge screening Peep Show, alongside some other animated films that uh, are also a bit uh, sexual in nature, so uh, rather fitting. We'll probably end up talking about some of those films, I'm sure. That will take place at 10pm on the 28th of September, at the Watershed here in Bristol. Hope to see some of you there. You can find out more about the film at bonobostudio.hr and you can find out more info on the festival at encounters-festival.org.uk and uh, there'll be some other links in the article attached to this podcast. So yeah, looking forward to seeing that on the big screen. Speaking of encounters, my film Sunscapades is going to be playing 2pm on the 26th of September, that's the Wednesday. It's part of the animation screening Happy Sad. It's also playing the day after on Thursday, the 27th, at 8 pm for the screening From the Sublime to the Ridiculous. That's a mix of live action and animation, which is nice. Thank you very much for joining us in the season finale of Intimate Animation. Uh, join us for the season premiere of <laughs> season three <laughs> probably <Intimates>. very soon. <laughs> It'll probably be uploaded on the same day. <laughs> um, I think uh, there's a, a whole bunch of films that we're going to be seeing at Encounters that are very much within our remit. And I think that once we come you know, out of the other side of that, we're going to have a bunch of stuff for you guys. So hold tight. We won't be gone too long. Uh, as always, the website is squiggly.com. You can follow us on Twitter at squiggly. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ben L. Mitchell. Laura is on Twitter at LB Cowley. So it's goodbye from me, Ben Mitchell. And goodbye from me, Laura Beth Cowley. Until season three, uh, happy intimate animating. I'm not sure what that would... Uh, Didn't think that one through, do I? That sounds like you're animating with your intimate areas. I'm just going to bail. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) 
Big words, heavy topics, but I want you kids to know this is not a big and heavy program. Matter of fact, it only weighs about a pound and a half. <laughs> now, we got a lot of surprises for you along the way, so sit there, enjoy yourself, or I'm going to run over your knees with my bike.